Well, hey there, everybody. Welcome to Gather and Go, the podcast that helps you plan, promote, and lead better trips. I'm your host, Brian Jewell, and I am over the moon that you decided to spend some time with us today. I am also super excited to introduce you to our guest. Today, we're going to have a featured conversation with Ted Bravos of the International Tour Management Institute. If you have ever wondered what it takes to be a tour manager or a tour director, what it takes to make a good one, you're going to love this conversation with Ted because he's going to tell us all about how he and his team are teaching the next generation of travel managers. It's a fascinating conversation. You're not going to want to miss that. Before we get there, though, let's talk about some travel news you may have missed. Hot off the presses, Canada announced that it is lifting all COVID-19 travel restrictions. And that change of policy went into effect just a couple days ago on October 1st. Now, this isn't the first time that Americans can go back to Canada. The country actually reopened its borders to U.S. travelers uh, beginning in August of 2021, but it required those visitors to be fully vaccinated up until now. Now, this change in rules means that travelers no longer have to show any proof of vaccination or show a negative COVID-19 test to enter Canada. Uh, In addition to that, Canada has stopped requiring passengers to wear masks on planes and trains throughout the country, and it is no longer necessary for inbound travelers to submit health information on the Arrive Canada app when they're on their way into the country. So why does this matter? Well, think about this. Canada is the number one international destination for American travelers, and America is the number one country sending travelers into Canada. So obviously, policy changes regarding travel across this border are hugely consequential for American travelers, for American tour groups, and for the tourism industry in Canada. There were more than 14 million arrivals from the U.S., in 2018. Now, that's a pre-pandemic number. Of course, that number went way down. Canadian tourism officials, of course, are hopeful that that will continue to go back up, especially now that these restrictions have been lifted. Now, 15% of Americans have chosen not to be vaccinated. So that means that there's a not insignificant number of potential travelers to Canada who have not been allowed into the country for the past couple of years. Now, this rule change is also significant for the cruise industry, because as you may know, many American cruises begin or end or call on ports that are in Canada. And Canada, for the past year or so, has been requiring cruise passengers to be vaccinated. For a while, Canada didn't allow any cruise ships to come into its ports at all. And then once it allowed cruise ships to come in, it required all passengers to be vaccinated which was then reflected in cruise lines vaccination policy. So there is a chance that this change of policy from Canada could trickle down and create changes of policies across the board for cruise lines. Now, obviously, cruise lines have to manage the policies of the various different nations they take passengers to. But uh, this announcement is in line with what's happening in many other countries around the world that have decided to completely lift COVID restrictions for travelers. So I think we could see some significant change in cruise lines, decisions and policies in the coming months as well. Now, if you are fully vaccinated, you have been traveling uh, or able to travel wherever you wanted to for a while now. But for that 15 percent of Americans, certainly some of those who are your customers or who have been in your groups. For that 15% that chose not to be vaccinated for their own reasons, 
These kind of decisions are opening the world up again, and that is a win as far as I'm concerned. So big news coming out of Canada this week. Now, before we move on, it's time for the road tip segment of our show. This is a part of every episode where I give you some tips from our team's experience on the road to help you make your travel experiences better for you and for your customers. Today's road tip is something I'm excited to share with you. Tell me if you've ever been in this situation. You are out and uh, you're with a group and you need to get some people somewhere, but that's not where the bus is going. Maybe you have some people that uh, have a little medical emergency that comes up and they need to get somewhere different. Maybe they want to do a different attraction than what you're doing. Maybe they've made some other plans and you have to sit there and figure out, okay, how do I accommodate these people? Um, How do I work this out with our transportation? Do I just tell them to call a cab? How do I make this a streamlined experience? Well, I wanna share with you uh, a service that can make that a lot easier, and it's probably one that you're already using. If you are a frequent traveler, you have probably used the ride-sharing service Uber. Well, did you know that you can send Uber vouchers to other people and charge those to your own Uber account? Uh, This is super helpful. There are a variety of ways to do this. One is through a service called Uber Events, where you can go into your Uber account before a trip or an event begins and set up vouchers that you can distribute to your participants to pay for or partially pay for rides they might take with Uber. Now, we do this quite often uh, when we host a FAM tour for Group Travel Leader readers uh, to help people get from the airport to the hotel or to another place on the FAM. We'll actually send them Uber vouchers in advance. You can specify where they're allowed to be picked up. You can specify where they're allowed to be dropped off and you can arrange the payment to go to your account so that your user never has to worry about how much the ride costs or where they're going. They simply fire up their Uber app, pop in your voucher code and uh, book their ride. And that ride is charged directly to you. Now, this has a lot of applications in group travel. Certainly uh, one of those might be that kind of airport transfer and transportation. If you have a group flying into somewhere to begin a tour and maybe they're coming in at different times, well, trying to pick them all up with one motor coach, that's a lot of work and a lot of planning. It may actually be easier to send them all an Uber voucher so they can get their own rides from the airport to the hotel or wherever you're meeting. Saves you a lot of hassle. You may not have to charter a motor coach for that day. It saves you some expense. Certainly covers the expense of those Uber vouchers for your customers. Now, some tour companies like to provide door-to-door service as part of their packages where they actually arrange for a customer to be picked up at their home and taken to the airport or to wherever the group is going to meet. Uber vouchers make that a lot easier, too. All of a sudden, you're not having to book a cab fare or a car service or have people collect receipts and send them back to you for reimbursement. You simply send them a link to your Uber voucher and it gets them where they want to go. Now, there are other applications, too, like you can use Uber vouchers to help people take side trips off your main itinerary. Or if you want to offer options on your itinerary where people can go do different things at different times, you don't necessarily have to worry about how the motor coach is going to get everybody everywhere because you can use Uber vouchers to get people where they want to go with less hassle. And just in case you're wondering, no, this isn't some kind of paid message. In fact, Uber is not sponsoring this message in any way. This is just something that we have used a lot. I found it super helpful and thought you might want to know about it, too. So you can find more information uh, at business.uber.com or events 
.uber.com. Either way you go there will give you lots of great options and you can look into using Uber vouchers and services to make your group travel experiences smoother. And before we move on, I want to get into a little bit of news from us. You know, uh, as an industry, we are moving into the busy season for tourism conferences and trade shows and events. And our team is going to be at a lot of the most popular tourism events over the coming months. And we would love to meet you there. You can look for us at events like NTA Travel Exchange coming up in November in Reno, Nevada. We're going to have a staff member at USTOA annual conference in Austin at the end of November. A bunch of us are going to be at ABA Marketplace in Detroit in early February. You'll find some of us at Select Traveler Conference in Branson in late March. And then again at the STS Domestic Showcase in Huntsville, Alabama in April. So if you're going to be at any of those events, I would encourage you to look for the Group Travel Leader booth. Come introduce yourself. Come say hello. You can meet some of our sales team. Uh, I will be at uh, some of those events. Some of our other staff will be there. Come tell us what's going on in the business. Tell us about your ideas. Tell us about the questions you have and things that we can do to make the magazine and the podcast better and more helpful to you. We always love meeting our readers and getting to know what's going on in your world. And we would love to see you at any of those events between now and the spring. Now, it's just about time for us to move into our featured conversation with Ted Bravos. But before we do, let me encourage you to hang around to the end of that interview, because at the end, I want to talk a little bit more about tour directors, how they're compensated, particularly the custom of tipping tour directors. I think there's some ways that we can do that better. That's the topic of the hot minute. You won't want to miss that. We'll be right back with Ted Bravos. All right. So if you're looking for even more reasons to make plans to visit Savannah, look no further. From the moment you arrive, you'll be greeted with moss-draped live oak trees, fresh coastal breezes, and enchanting history around every cobblestone street. Savannah strikes a delicate balance between hip and historic. Casual, but cool. Elegant, yet approachable. Spend the day exploring the city's illustrious culture, roaming through the green city squares while sipping on your go-to cocktail before hopping a trolley to your next adventure. The best experiences happen when you let Savannah take you along for the ride. You never know what characters you'll meet or what's in store for your next tour. And that's just the way they like it. See why groups of all sizes fall in love with Savannah at visitsavannah.com. All right, everybody. My guest today is a pioneer in tourism who has spent nearly five decades in the travel industry. He's the founder of the International Tour Management Institute, America's first accredited educational organization for training tour escorts. When he's not instructing students there, he can be found consulting with tour companies and leading tours in his home state of California. Ted Bravos, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Brian. It's really good to be here. Uh, it's great to have you. So uh, five decades in tourism, nearly five decades. You've got to give me a brief summary of where you came from, how you got into it, and what you've spent all that time doing. I grew up in an idyllic place up in Sonoma County, which is the wine country today, and went to college at Cal Poly, got a degree in biology. And I remember sitting in our dormitory room the first time John Kennedy said, ask not what your country can do for you. And about that same time, the Peace Corps was beginning, and we had lots of Nigerian students, and I really had a fondness for Nigeria and their culture, their customs. So I was going to teach high school biology in Nigeria, 
and I was just wow. a couple of weeks away from my training session, and I got another invitation from my government to do my very first tour, Brian, to a beautiful country mm. in Southeast Asia, which incidentally happens to be one of the most popular countries in the world to visit today. And of course, that was Vietnam. And I went there as a <laughs> young, dumb, 22-year-old second lieutenant. And I, I seriously, uh, I said to myself, whatever I do the rest of my life, I, was, I had a platoon, about 100 men, and, and I, I said, whatever I do the rest of my life better make sense. And I certainly didn't know it was going to be tour directing, uh, but uh, that's what happened. I came back, and uh, when I got out of the Marine Corps, I took off to Europe because I was sort of, again, today it's not so unusual. People take a, a gap year after college and so on or before college. I took a gap year before getting into whatever I was going to get into. And I went to Europe and bought a – I'm about 25 years old. I bought a 10-speed bicycle, a used bicycle in London. And I proceeded to bicycle across Europe for the next almost a year, visiting about wow. 17 countries. And, and uh, I want to just to wrap this up. I, I, every time I saw an American tour group and I heard that American twang, uh, I go running off in the opposite direction. I mean, if somebody told me that I was going to be a tour director the next year, and yes, they used to call us tour escorts. But uh, yeah, I came back and I was hopelessly bitten by the travel bug and uh, just happened to be at the right place at the right time. And I walked into the Continental Trailways office in San Francisco. A lady was either desperate or she felt sorry for me. I'm not quite sure which, but she said, do you have any leadership background? And I, I whipped out my Eagle Scout badge. And I'll mm -hmm. tell you, Brian, the Eagle Scout badge, um, she said, we have a tour this weekend going to Death Valley. And I said, no, Death Valley? I, Wow, from Vietnam to Death Valley. I said, sure, I'd love to go. And she said, don't worry. She said, I'll, I'll train you. And that's how people got trained. You're at the right place at the right time. And so in my training program, she announced to the entire group, she said, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like you to meet Ted Bravos. We had about 45 people on the coach. They were all about my grandparents' age. And he says, I, I want you all to be real nice to Ted. This is his very first tour. And with that, she gave me the microphone. And Brian, I've led like a hundred men in combat and, and I lost my voice. I, I do not like to be in situations <laughs> where I don't know what I'm doing. And that mm. afternoon, the lady who was supposed to train me had an emergency phone call and had to fly back to San Francisco, leaving me in death Valley for the next five days with all these people knowing they're with a rookie. So wow. what you're looking at is perhaps the first, <laughs> the first survivor of the sink or swim method of tour directing. But from there, I, I traveled all over the country and I, I loved it so much and especially our national parks in New England in the fall and up to Alaska. And uh, yeah, I, the story goes on about my parents are going crazy, going like, what's my son doing? He's not, he's not. Nobody looked at tour directing as a job back in the 1970s or something retired people did or college people did during the summertime. It was really not a profession. And it really mm -hmm. didn't become a profession until deregulation. You remember when mm -hmm. the airlines deregulated and everything? So did yeah. the motor coach companies. That was right, early 1980s. And that meant now that motor coaches could cross over state lines. And mm -hmm. prior to that time, tour companies could only travel within their state. And you had companies, the, the monopoly at that time, of course, was Greyhound and Continental Trailways. And when mm -hmm. deregulation happened, now you could have a plethora. And organizations like NTA and ABA and others just began to grow like crazy. And that's about wow. the same time uh, we decided to start a school. My business partner, Bill Newton, and I, he was just finishing up his doctoral degree at Berkeley, decided to start ITMI. 
So deregulation, I think a lot of people know about it in terms of the, the airlines because we we read about it a lot when we're reading about aviation and the business of it. But um, it, it actually kind of created the opportunity for the tour company as we know it uh, to exist in America, as you mentioned. And it really, in a way, created the opportunity for the professional tour manager or tour director. So uh, I want to talk more about that. But first, I, I may have put my foot in my mouth at the beginning. So help us sort out the difference between terms, uh, tour escort, which which I said, or a tour manager, tour director, tour guide. Are they the same thing? Are they different? What is what in terms of those terms? Ryan, there are still companies that will use the term tour escort. And I, I tell my mm-hmm. graduates, you know, if they call you a tour escort and <laughs> they're going to hire you, you work for them. It's just fine. But the term yeah. today is the term tour director or tour manager uh, is probably most typically used. But some companies like Disney uses the word adventure guide. <laughs> okay. And, and uh, other companies have uh, different, different terms for it. Uh, the word tour guide generally refers to somebody who just does day trips. They're a step-on mm. guide in Chicago. They're a step-on guide in San Francisco. They go home every night uh, where tour yeah. director is an over the road person. So take us back uh, to the mid eighties when uh, tour companies are starting to be able to cross state lines, as you mentioned, and really build the, uh, the tour uh, industry that we know today. What made you think number one, Hey, all these tour directors need some training. And number two, I should be the guy to do it. My mentor in this business was a remarkable creative dynamic person uh, living in the Midwest in Lawrence, Kansas. His name was Tom Moppin, and he was just a visionary. And when deregulation happened, uh, Tom had been in business for maybe a decade, but his tours only went around the world. They, they did not, mm. no tours within the United States, like national parks in New England in the fall, that type of thing. And he saw, a, a, he saw something on the, realized that these tours were obviously going to sell and he started asking his international tour directors if they'd like to do tours in the United States. Mm. And when their international tour directors who did tours to Japan and to Europe and places, when they were told that they not only had to be with the group, they also had to give commentary. They had to give directions to the, to the driver. Uh, it was something way beyond. And they said, we don't want to do it. So mm. about that time, we were putting together a tour for Tom Moppin of, of Colorado. And as we were putting together that particular trip, he said, gentlemen, would you like to put together a trip to Alaska? The, the season in Alaska is only about what, three or four months long. They mm-hmm. sold 14 departures. They sold out in three months before the trip left with a waiting list. So wow. like, oh my gosh. So every time Tom Moppin did a tour, other country companies would say, gee, that's really great. That's selling really well. We'll do the same thing. And of course, when they went to their tour directors and said, would you like to do this tour to Alaska? They're going, I don't know. I've never been to Alaska. I don't know how to go to someplace I haven't been to before. I mean, I have to give directions to the driver. I have to give commentary. Where is Tom Moppin getting his tour directors? And then mm-hmm. there's this, well, there's this little school in California <laughs> that just started. <laughs> and, uh, and that's really how it began. So you've hit on, uh, you know, the multifaceted uh, job that is tour directing. It's not just a commentary, although commentary is certainly part of it. Uh, it's not just giving the driver directions, but that's part of it. You've got to be able to handle 
unexpected situations, emergencies. There's also a social aspect, right? You're kind of entertaining people. You need to engage people who maybe are on the fringes of the group. So tell me your opinion on um, how important a tour director is on a trip and how important it is to have a good one and a well-trained one. I think that a tour director, you can have the best hotels. I mean, the very best Mm -hmm. hotels, the best meals, the newest motor coaches, you can have an itinerary that's just beautiful. It's not too fast. It's not too slow. There's only one question mark when a tour operator sends out a group, and that's the tour director. So the tour director, they're the business agent for that company. They're also a source of information. Those are the two things that a tour director does the most. And if a tour director does that, they're going to get by but they're not going to be a standout. They won't be the one that at the end of the tour, people will say, oh my gosh, we need to have that person come with us again on our group tour, or mm-hmm. I want to go with that company again, but is there any way I can go with that tour director? They Literally, tour directors end up with a following. Mm-hmm. <laughs> really a following. They love going very much the same way as they follow a tour company. They find a tour company that they really like, they follow that company. Uh, yeah. If they have a group leader where they really respect the group leader and the group leader really negotiates a great value for them and they have a tour that's just terrific and the group leader really works well with that tour director this is for longer over the road tours it's it's remarkable so Mm -hmm. if a tour director is a business agent they're a source of information great they'll get by but the things that really make a tour director stand out will be their ability to to set the mood for the tour Mm -hmm. and and to be a congenial host to be able to get Mm -hmm. along with any group leader finding out, does that group leader want to take over? Do they want to be every morning? They want to say a few words. Do they want to get up and talk? You bet they do. They do what they want to do. Do they want to do a, a special run over to a church for a particular service? Yes. I would never do that on a regular tour, but I've watched them. Uh, they want to take a special run to the liquor store. You bet they do, that type of thing. <laughs> Setting the mood, being a congenial host, generating enthusiasm for the trip, uh, motivating people, getting people to stretch, getting people to grow, getting people to perhaps do something they would never have done, never in their whole life. And yes, you nudge them just a little bit. And finally, to be able to give commentary, one of the biggest fears that most tour guides and tour directors have of not having enough commentary. Hmm. And now at this point in my life, I ask myself, you know, I'm always telling my students when to talk, uh, what to talk about, and when to shut up. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do right now. You know, it's interesting you mentioned that. I, I have been on many, many tours uh, occasionally with guides that didn't know uh, when the group was just tired, when they wanted to scroll on their phones for a minute, when they needed a break from the commentary. So that is certainly an important thing to teach people. Uh, it occurs to me that a lot of what you're talking about here, we might label um, soft skills, maybe some emotional intelligence, certainly some some social intelligence. So I'm curious how do you train or can you train people in those soft interpersonal skills or how much of it is just something that the person has to kind of come with fully formed? Brian, we have people that are as young as as 18 take our class and we've had people that are 76, 77 years old that are really successful. So it has very little to do with age. Hmm. It, It has something to do with experience. But as you're saying, soft skills would be, when we interview people, we, we go through a, a, two-part, almost a three-part interview process where the interview interviewer talks to the person for usually 45 minutes or so or an hour. 
And then after they talk to one person, then they go back over to ITMI and now they talk to two more people. And in that process, mm. you better believe it. Uh, I ask myself two questions when I'm interviewing somebody. Uh, the first question I ask is, if I owned a tour company, would I want to hire this person to entrust them with my valuable clientele to make sure that they, they make sure people get everything they, they promised and more and bring those people back happy? You know, so, I, mm. so they want to buy more tours from my company. That's the first one. Uh, why would I want to train somebody I would not want to give to one of my friends? Because we have such friendships now with all the, all the major companies and so many smaller companies. These people are good friends. Why would I want to give them a tour director that's going to ruin their trip, ruin their, their reputation? So that's the first mm. question. Would I hire them? The second question I ask myself, and I think you just said that a moment ago, what I want to be stuck with them for two weeks on a tour <laughs> um, <laughs> under their direction. And you're going, no, I don't want to hear their voice anymore. Uh, so we, we yeah. actually turn down about 50% of the people that take our class and not saying, oh, you're not good enough for this. We just say, you know, maybe there's something else you should be looking at. So the intangibles, and I think a lot of people that are left brain people still make wonderful tour directors. But it's the right brain people, and nobody is totally left or totally right. But you have mm -hmm. to have enough of the right brain, which is your spontaneity and your enthusiasm and your ability to, the thing that people never like to talk about, having feelings for other people, being able, as you said, read people. And I remember I was in a beautiful island off the coast of Malaysia, and we had been on the road for about maybe a week and a half, and my group was exhausted. And the itinerary mm -hmm. that morning said, leave leave the hotel at eight o'clock, arrive back at the hotel mm. at five o'clock that night. And there was a beautiful beach. Oh my gosh. So I said, ladies and gentlemen, this morning, we're not going to, we'll be leaving at nine o'clock this morning. We're going to be back at the hotel by one o'clock. You'll have plenty of time for lunch. I made sure they saw everything they were supposed to see. Mm. But I told mm. our local guide, we must get these people back by one o'clock. And everybody cheered. And it, just as you said, it's being able to read the group read the group and have those skills. Most people who are accepted to ITMI have the skills already. They, mm. They've been in business, they know how to work with people. They've raised a family, now they're an empty nester. They're early retired, mm. and they're going, I really miss that part of the business working with people, and on and on. So are you saying that the person uh, who loves being on a stage and loves being the spotlight and loves having a microphone may actually not be a great fit for being a tour director? Oh, no, no. There are some people that really try hard and maybe too hard. And I say, you're not being yourself. We've had a lot of actors and actresses take our class. We even had a couple of Hollywood producers and directors when we used to teach our classes down in Hollywood. And I see a lot of the actors being somebody that they're not. They want to memorize mm. a script. They're, they're not, it's not who they are. It's not, if I get them aside, I'm going like, this is not how you talk to me. I want you to talk in a natural mm. conversational style. And one of the yeah. one of the actors, actually one of the producers that we had in our class years ago, he said, a lot of being a good tour director is you are the producer, the director, and the writer, and you star in your own play. And mm. that's what's really joyful about this. You you learn when to talk and when to shut up. So you get these people in, you've interviewed them, you've decided uh, they have sort of the innate uh, people skills to do this kind of work. So when they enroll at ITMI, what are the core things that they're going to learn with you? 
I tell the class at the very beginning, if you're here right now, most of you have the skills to be a tour director already. Mm. That's pretty shocking. Wow, I paid all this money, I'm sitting in your class and I already have the skills. <laughs> they do, they have right. the skills already. What we do is show them how to use their skills for the best practices in this business. It's not the same mm. as running a company, it's not the same as being a nurse. It's similar, but we're showing them the best practices, the skills they need, and a lot of times during the class, people go, oh yeah, oh yeah, I know what he's talking about now. Especially the part of the class that I really like is the psychology of group travel. I mean, that's one of, our, mm. one of our top parts of our business and using some different methods, two or three different messages, uh, methods for that. I think the method that we use, I'm a Greek American and I always like the, the Socratic way of learning uh, that a lot, in fact, most of our, our classes are hands-on. It's hands-on training. Mm. Uh, this is what the Greeks did. This is what uh, Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo is. Their motto is learn by doing. My motto here is mm. learn by doing. 50% of our training is hands-on. And that gives people the second thing they need. They may have the skills, but they don't have the confidence. So mm. what we do at ITMI is give them the confidence by not just sitting in the classroom, but we're on a motor coach for five days on a real tour from San Francisco, mm. going down the coast of California to Carmel and Monterey and Big Sur and Hearst Castle and down to Santa Barbara and Solvang and finishing up in Hollywood. That's a five-day tour where the student is doing everything. In other words, mm. they have a section. For the next 15, 20 minutes, this is your section. We tell them in advance and then give them some coaching. And then when they have that particular se section, they're the ones that are pulling in the commentary and the, the uh, you know, knowing when to talk. One of the things that uh, some tour directors just don't know how to use today for, for a couple of reasons. One, they're afraid of it. The other is they overuse it, and that's technology. Mm. You can yeah. really use technology beautifully on your tour if it's done with, with common sense. Uh, so mm -hmm. the first thing we do is tell, give the people the skills. The second thing is help them to develop confidence in this business, to give them the courage to do this. The third thing we do and the final thing we do is help people get jobs. And there's a mm -hmm. whole series that we call the launch pad and all the things we do from resumes to cover letters to putting together 30 second videos and so on and so forth. Yes, the people we accept have the skills. What we do is polish the skills up. So you referenced group leaders a few minutes ago, and we certainly have many group leaders in our audience. So I wonder if you could kind of um, speak to the group leader who has experience doing, uh, trips that they put together, you know, two or three night drive trips around their local area. They don't work with a tour company. They just book their own bus. They, they take it out. They're used to doing it themselves. Now let's say a, a group leader from the East coast decides, let's do the California wine con uh, country trip. And they book that with a tour operator. But, but when they get there, they're thinking, hey, wait a minute, why do I need a tour escort? Because I've always done this myself. And, and as you alluded to, there's potential for some conflict. So why should uh, group leaders consider using a tour director or even, you know, kind of stepping aside and letting the tour director take the reins in a place like that? There are some group leaders that, to be honest with you, don't need a tour director. I mean, they've taken this trip mm -hmm. enough times. They love history. They've read about the customs and traditions. They know about the food and the music, and they know a little bit about wine and, and 
all those types of things. And I'm going like, no, not all group leaders need a tour director, period. That's, I mm-hmm. think that very clear. The tour leaders that bring on a tour director are the ones that most of them are retired. They're mm-hmm. going, I don't want to do all this stuff. I, I don't want to call ahead for reservations. I, I don't want to, my gosh, there's a, there's a mix up at the hotel and, and uh, they're telling me that they have to bump half the group to another hotel, but they don't know what that hotel is going to be. Uh, there's a washout up here, and, and I, now I can't get from here to the hotel tonight. There's a forest fire mm. going on up here. And, and when there's a, a, a crisis, when there's conflict, uh, when you're being criticized, because stuff happens on tour, especially now with COVID, mm-hmm. a group leader can sit in the back of the bus and just say, wow, this is wonderful. I can say hello to my group in the morning. And the rest of it, I can sit back and I can enjoy this myself. Some group leaders just love being with people, but they don't want to do all the mechanical stuff. They mm-hmm. don't know how to use the technology to their advantage. Technology to them means putting on an hour and a half film. <laughs> Going, mm-hmm. No, 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 that's not technology. Uh, some group leaders just don't have that gift of gab. And yeah. a good tour director can make the group leader look even better. Because group leaders mm. want to get more people to join their clubs. They want to have the repeat business. A good tour director can make the group leader shine. So uh, the entire tourism industry has been through just an enormous shock over the past couple of years. I'm curious what you are finding are the biggest challenges uh, for the tour director students that you are bringing in and for the tour director friends that you have on the road. What are the biggest challenges in 2022, whether it's related to COVID or related to labor shortages or, or something else altogether? What, what are the uphill battles that you guys are fighting? Sometimes we have a hiccup I and mean, people were so fearful of deregulation. Oh my gosh, it was the end of the Mm. travel industry and blah, blah, blah. I have watched so many tour companies reinvent themselves because of COVID. And sadly enough, Mm. I've seen really good friends of mine go out of business. That's sad, Mm. obviously. This is their lifelong work and it's gone. And that's painful. But we have been thinking about doing things here at ITMI for years. And kind of dragged our feet on it. And that was using technology as part of our training because our program now is a hybrid program. It's part of, part of it is online, part of it is online in person, and part of it is in person. So we would not have done that without COVID. And I'm seeing tour companies mm. developing tours that they never would have done before. And I love the way tour companies really are working together. We have about 10 tour operators that we meet with every month during COVID. It was every week (laughs) and Mm -hmm. we have about 10, 10 major tour companies and the way they share information at at the beginning of COVID and the middle of COVID toward the end of COVID. And we're not necessarily at the end right now, but I see a lot of opportunities as an example. A lot of people didn't want to go on the road very much, but doing things locally, uh, a lot of my graduates, who never thought about starting their own company. And I'm talking about tours like adventure travel, tours Mm. like food and wine tours of their city. One of our graduates up in Portland has the Fork Town Tours in in Mm. Portland. She was way ahead of herself. This was almost 15 years ago before COVID that she was doing food and wine tours. Today, food and wine tours are like, (laughs) they're off the charts. Everybody right. in every city from Little Rock, Arkansas to 
to New York City uh, have some sort of niche that they're developing. And I'm seeing a lot more people starting their own company. It's not that terribly difficult because the biggest cost with starting a company is marketing. And marketing mm-hmm. today is so so much less expensive than it used to be with newspaper and radio and all this other stuff. They have abilities to, to do it online. The other Israel I'm really concerned is our bent in America and capitalism. And capitalism has done some wonderful things. And, and all I hear is about we want to grow travel and grow travel and grow travel. And I'm, I'm really concerned about the over-tourism. And I've been involved with that now for about 10 years or more. I've been looking mm-hmm. at that over-tourism. And there are so many places that, especially group leaders, the people that are traveling with group leaders, trust them or they wouldn't go. But a group right. leader who goes to a state like Arizona, and instead of doing the Grand Canyon, Bryce and Zion, which they've done already uh, numerous times, there are so many remarkable state parks in Arizona mm-hmm. that they could put together a tour and they say, I promise, and they work with the, the State Department of Tourism and the local, the DMOs and so on to put together a wonderful trip to their state parks. And everyone will follow that group leader because they trust them. So that's yeah. what I'm hoping that happens that will help to alleviate some of the over-tourism we're seeing not just in America, but all over the world. All right, Ted, you and I could go on for hours on this topic. I feel like there's, there's much more to discuss. I don't want to keep you too long though. So uh, let me ask you this, where is the best place for people to find you or ITMI online? They can just go to uh, itmitourtraining.com to take a look at our website. The website is really great. The website literally gets people excited about the business uh, International Tour Management Institute or ITMI. It'll get them excited about the business or they'll have a reality check going. It's wonderful. Not everybody <laughs> is meant to lead the tour. A lot of people are meant to go on the tour. <laughs> and Thank goodness yeah. there, there are. Well, Ted, before I let you go, we have a set of questions we ask every guest and these are uh, just fun getting to know you questions. So no pressure. You can just shoot from the hip. Uh, first one, uh, are you a window seat person or an aisle seat person? <laughs> Whoa. On an airplane, I'm an aisle seat person. On a Motor coach, I'm a window person. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Uh, next, what is one thing in your carry-on that you would never travel without? <laughs> That's great. Probably today, I'd say my cell phone. I mean, I hate to say it, but that thing is such a great resource when people ask the questions. I mean, things like today, somebody, what's that plant over there? <laughs> I could tell them that flower, <laughs> that plant. I can do a thumbnail sketch in history. So we used to carry around a box of books. So I'm not wow. a big tech person, but I think I would have to say taking my my my, my cell phone and remember to bring my charger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So if you had a free airline pass and a week with nothing else you needed to do, where would you be headed next? I probably, there's a, there's a, a couple of Greek isle, islands that I, I've really been thinking about traveling to that I've not been to, but people often ask me what my favorite place in the world is, and maybe that's one of your questions, I don't know, but believe it or not, it's a, a flow trip down the Snake River in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, at the end of the season when most of the tourists have gone home, and it takes two hours to go down the river instead of one, 
And to be able to see the, the Eagles and the, the Teton Mountains, you don't have to go to Europe to see the Alps <laughs> right there. Yeah. To see them disappear around each bend and the quietness, uh, it's one of my favorite places in the whole wide world. That, that sounds pretty sweet. So last question, what is something you have seen or done on the road that you wish you could experience again with somebody you love? Wow. One of the greatest nights I ever had on tour was in Russia where, to make a long story short, my local guide in Russia was really a pill. She was just not very nice at all. We found out her birthday was, was the next day, and we had gone to the Bolshoi Ballet, Ballet that night, and I practiced singing happy birthday to her. And the next day, to see her face when the whole group broke out in Numeros Denyat Debia, which is happy birthday to you, three uh-huh. nights later, we were saying goodbye to Russia, and we we're in a beautiful restaurant. And there's a group of Russians sitting at a table, and they hear the uh, hear my group yelling and screaming. And all of a sudden, they the group over there they thought we were we we're Italian because we're making so much noise. And we said no, <laughs> and then we uh, the Russians were having a birthday party at their table, mm. and my group fortified with champagne and vodka. They all stood up and sang happy birthday in Russian to this Russian group. Wow. Wow. And the Russian group, they, they were shocked. They all, everybody's clapping in the restaurant. Then they start yelling out. Uh, they thought we were Italian. They thought we were French. They thought we were English. And then we said, America. <laughs> Brian, that entire group of people, there must have been about 15 of them, stormed my group, grabbed them, took them out on the dance floor and they were doing the funky chicken. I mean, it was the most beautiful scene I've ever seen in my life. And my local wow. guide looks at me and she said, Ted, I've never seen anything. I get chills just telling you the story. Those are the possibilities wow. that travel has to give. And I think, again, using Russians, you know, I feel really bad for the Russian soldiers with all the horrible things yeah. that happened there. But I think the travel yeah. helps people to see people in a different, a different light. Yeah. Absolutely. That's, that's for sure. All right, Ted, you've been so generous with your time. Thanks for joining us and I look forward to being able to have you back again. Thank you, Brian. Well, I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Ted Bravos. I hope you took a lot from it. You know, there were some things that Ted said that I thought were so good that I want to come back and hit them again because they're really important in the work that we all do in the tourism industry. One of the things Ted said is that you have to learn when to talk, what to talk about, and when to shut up. Now, Ted said that in the context of teaching tour managers, and that is certainly important because as I referenced in the interview, I have been on plenty of tours with tour managers who, well, they just didn't know when to shut up, and that became a liability for them. But I think that is actually important for all of us, whether you are doing sales, talking to clients, doing presentations, speaking at events. Well, so many of us, myself included, have a tendency to just talk too much. And there is a tipping point in any uh, presentation, monologue, conversation where you have said too much and you start losing your audience. So It's really important to develop the skill of knowing when to talk and when to shut up. Another thing Ted said is that you can use technology beautifully on your tour if it's done with common sense. Now, this is something that people are going to grapple with probably forever because technology will be changing forever. 
But if it's done right, it can add a lot of value to your customers. Now, one example of this is what I talked about in the road tip at the top of the show, using something like Uber and Uber voucher to uh, provide value and extend the kinds of services that you can offer during a tour. It can certainly also be things like social media, Wi-Fi, wireless technology, mapping, all kinds of things. If you use it well, you can actually make people's travel experiences better. So don't be afraid of technology. And if you don't necessarily think that you are the most up to date on the technology that should be used in travel, well, find somebody who is. Ask somebody who is, I don't know, under 30. You'll be surprised at what you find and use a little bit of creativity. You can find some beautiful ways to integrate that into your tour experiences. Finally, Ted said a good tour director can make a group leader look even better. Uh, If you are a group leader and you're hesitant to work with tour directors because you're afraid that that might mean giving up some control of your trips, your itineraries and uh, the grip you have on the microphone, let's say, well, you need to take that to heart because a tour director is not competition for you. They are there to compliment you. So I would encourage you to take a closer look at some of the tour companies and tour directors that you could work with to help you enjoy your trips more and maybe even have more time to have fun with your customers, build those relationships instead of always having to worry about every element of a tour. Great stuff there from Ted Bravos. You know, one of the things that Ted didn't talk about was how tour directors are compensated. And if you've been involved in tourism very long, you probably know that A fairly large portion of many tour directors income comes not from a fee or a salary that they collect from a tour operator, but from tips that they collect from travelers. On most tours, it's customary to tip both the tour director and the bus driver. Well, I think this system, frankly, bites. And that is the topic of today's hot minute. That's right. The hot minute is the portion of the show where I take 60 seconds to give you my unfiltered views on issues impacting tourism every day. And today we're going to talk all about how we're compensating tour directors and if there's a better way to do it. So let's put 60 seconds on the clock and get into it. All right. I believe that tour directors are some of the hardest working people in travel, and I believe they should be compensated and compensated really well. But I also believe our industry should be doing that with integrity. And right now, we're not. Why do I say that? Well, the system of tipping tour operators basically allows tour companies to hide the true cost of their product by not compensating their drivers and guides fairly and by counting on social pressure to get their passengers to pay additional income to the drivers and guides. And well, that's just not honest and that's not operating with integrity. The other problem is that because many of those tips are in cash, there's a good chance that many of the people receiving them are not reporting the income and not paying taxes on it. Now, I want drivers and guides to make a lot of money. I want them to be well compensated, but there's no reason that they shouldn't pay their fair share like the rest of us. So how about tour companies actually pay their drivers and guides a solid wage, disclose that up front and let the rest of us simply enjoy our tours? That's the way I see it. If you disagree, well, that's okay. We can still be friends. Ted Bravos might disagree with that. And hey, he and I are still going to be friends too. Agree, disagree, however you see it, we would love to hear from you. You can email me at podcast at grouptravelleader.com and let me know what you think. I read every email that comes into that address and I would love to hear your thoughts, reactions, concerns, questions, and hey, you never know. Your ideas might just be the topic of the next hot minute. 
And hey, while you're in the mood to give us some feedback, would you do me a favor? Go to your podcast player of choice and leave us a rating, leave us a review and hit that subscribe button so that you never miss an episode of Gather and Go. I would be so thankful to you for doing that. I'm also thankful to our guest today, Ted Bravos, for joining us on the next episode of the podcast. I'm going to bring you a fascinating conversation with Amir Elan of Longwoods International, who is going to tell us all about how he and his company use data to help people create better travel experiences. You're not going to want to miss that. In the meantime, remember this. At the end of the day, we're all on this trip together. So let's make it a good one. See you next time on Gather and Go. Gather and Go is hosted and executive produced by me, Brian Jewell. Our publisher is Mac Lacey. Donya Simmons is our creative director. Ashley Ricks is our circulation manager and graphic designer. Our sales team is Kyle Anderson and Bryce Wilson. To advertise on the podcast, call Kyle or Bryce at 888-253-0455. Gather and Go is a production of The Group Travel Leader. For more information about our magazines, podcasts, and events, visit us online at grouptravelleader.com. 